remain standing for the reading of God's word as we look at Hebrews chapter 11, beginning in verse 27. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the danger or the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood, so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith the walls of Jericho fell down, they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Amen. Thus far the reading of God's word. Please be seated. As you think of the first great awakening that happened in this country in the 18th century, names like George Whitfield and Jonathan Edwards probably come to mind. But there was one Presbyterian that you should add to that list, and that of Samuel Davies. In fact, most considered Whitfield the evangelist and Edwards the theologian, but Davies the preacher, because he was unsurpassed as a pulpit orator, both in his eloquence as well as his biblical content and theological delivery. He was known as the prince of the preachers long before Charles Spurgeon was even born, and he eventually became the president of Princeton College and Seminary. Well, it's told that his preaching reputation was even known in England, and he was invited to go to preach there. And on one occasion, the King of England even came to hear him speak, that of King George II. However, the king and his entourage continued to carry on and speak with one another while Davies was preaching. And it was quite distracting, and Reverend Davies tried to ignore it, but it became evident that the king was not going to stop. And so instead, Davies stopped. He stopped preaching until there was awkward silence that hushed the entire room. Whereupon Davies looked directly at the king and said, When the lion roars, the beasts of the field all tremble. And when King Jesus speaks, the prince of the earth, keep silence. All preachers like that story. <laughs> Telling the king of England to keep quiet. It was a bold statement. Telling the mightiest king of the day to hush. You might ask, what would make a man so bold to do something as that? Well, it's because he feared a greater king, isn't it? It is the fear of the king of kings that makes all other kings look quite small. As we continue on this morning with the faith of Moses, we see something very similar. Moses was willing to come to face to face with Pharaoh of Egypt, not being fearful or afraid of his life. Why? Because he had encountered the Lord. He had come face to face with God himself. And in so doing, it gave him the courage and strength to stand, to face his fears and to lead. And that is what Moses did. He led. He was a leader. He led his people, the people of Israel, through difficult times in a difficult part of their history. He led them through the exodus from Egypt and to the very shores of the promised land. 
And so we see lessons of leadership here from Moses as well as what we most desperately need in our own journey as well. And so we'll see it in three points this morning. A greater fear, a greater lamb, and then a greater exodus. First, a greater fear. Last week, Pastor Myers began with the life of Moses and how his parents, fearing the Lord, hid him. And it demonstrated how he was destined for greatness. That Moses was raised in Pharaoh's household, and yet he did not see himself as an Egyptian. He knew where he came from, the people he belonged to, and most importantly, the God he served. The Lord's hand, you could say, was upon him from the very beginning to be the leader of his people out of Egypt. But that doesn't mean that it was a smooth path to leadership. That is what we've been seeing throughout all of these individuals. That these individuals had some major flaws and some major sins. That this is not hagiography. This is not hero worship. No, their failures and their shortcomings were and are on full display. And that is no different with Moses. You might have thought when we read that passage this morning when it said, By faith he left Egypt not being afraid of the anger of the king, you might say, but there was a time that he was afraid, and specifically afraid of the king. And you would be right. Exodus chapter 2, we read this story of how Moses saw an Egyptian harassing and mistreating a Hebrew, and looking to the left and looking to the right, he takes matters into his own hand and kills the Egyptian. And yet it becomes very evident, in fact, the very next day, that what he did was very well known. And we read these words, Then Moses was afraid and thought, Surely the thing is known. And when when Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian. It says Moses was afraid, specifically afraid of the king. He knew for him to stay there, he was going to be a dead man walking, and therefore he fled. He fled in fear because what he did was wrong. Moses acted in anger, he acted in rage. Perhaps he thought he was fulfilling his destiny, that was to save his people. And perhaps he was tired of waiting. Perhaps he thought, Lord, if you're not going to do anything, I'm going to do something. But whatever it was, he did not wait for the Lord's timing. He acted in his own timing and thus sinned. It's not altogether different than what Abraham did. You remember when he took Hagar, Sarah's maidservants, and through it gained a son. Rather than waiting for the Lord, rather than waiting for the promised son, And we always see that throughout Scripture, do we not? That when we do not wait for the Lord's timing, it's disastrous. And when we do that, when we act on our own, then we should rightfully fear. Rightfully fear either the judgment of God or the judgment of man because we have stepped outside of the protection of God because we have acted in our own sinfulness. So Moses sinned. Moses feared and Moses fled. But what is amazing is that even though the Lord is not the 
tempter or author of sin or evil, he very much can use sin and sinful actions for his own intentions. And that's what he does with Moses. He uses this sinful act to send Moses into the wilderness, into Midian, so that he can learn. And that's exactly what Moses does. He learns at the Lord's school of leadership, a.k.a. the school of humility. Because what is it that Moses now is called to do? What is it that the prince of Egypt now conducts himself in? This one that was a son of Pharaoh. What was his task? His task was to watch sheep. That was way below his stature and his calling. As you know, shepherds were the lowly of the low. And yet, this is what Moses was called to do. Not just for a week, not just for two weeks, not just for a year. No, for 40 years. And I find that interesting for several different reasons. It's interesting because first, how the Lord with Moses and then with David, he uses these two prominent leaders and has them to spend time with sheep. Probably because there's a lot of similarities between caring for sheep and caring for people. Because just as sheep go astray, so do we. We both want to go our own way and do our own thing. And the result is to get into a lot of trouble. And so there was lessons to be learned in and through shepherding. There was lessons about God. You remember David famously pins Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. And we looked at that psalm yesterday, if you were here for the memorial service, and saw how the Lord is our peace, and the Lord is our protection, and the Lord is our provider. All of which was very true of our dear departed sister. But through it, these lessons were to be learned in the sheepfold. Lessons of leadership. First, leading sheep, and then leading the people of God. And I find it very fascinating that Moses was called to do it for 40 years. For 40 years in the wilderness. That should ring a bell to you. Because it's exactly what the Lord would have the people of Israel to do when they left Egypt. That they were to be in the desert for 40 years. That they were to be in the wilderness for 40 years. And yet Moses had to go through his own wilderness experience before he could lead the people of God in theirs. And it's there in the wilderness that he had to learn. There he had to learn that that I can, by the strength of my own hands attitude, must die. And I wonder how many times, how many millions of times, Moses must have thought, what am I doing I'm out here with these smelly sheep. Why would God have me to do this? Surely I have something greater to do. I need to go fulfill my destiny. And that is indeed true. He had a destiny that the Lord would have him to do. But for these years, he had to learn in humility. It was quite clear that this was all to humble him. 
to create a God dependence. Listen to what one commentator says. Moses had to learn to be a servant, not a master, a prophet, not a prince, the friend of God, not of Pharaoh. And so God stripped him of his advantages and began his apprenticeship in spiritual leadership. Moses spent his first 40 years becoming a somebody, the next 40 years becoming a nobody, and then God could use him. It was an apprenticeship in faith. And I think that is exactly right. And we need to remember that. Those of you that long for leadership, you need to hear this lesson. If you long to be used by the Lord, which hopefully all of us do, then you need to know what you are asking for, what it is that the Lord will lead you through. And what he will lead you through is a path of humility, a path of dying to yourself. Because your pride must be broken through trials and through tribulations and through difficulties. This is indeed what the Lord Jesus Christ even tells us and teaches us. He says the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercised authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever must be first among you must be your slave. And so when we read that Moses was the most humble of men, that didn't come by natural temperament. No, that came from the Lord's doing. And it's true of all that are used by the Lord. And yet how often we chafe against the humbling experiences of life. And yet, oh, how they are needed. And so if that is true of you, if you're going through times of trial and of tribulation, or even of your own sin and your own wrongdoing. Know that the Lord will use it if you learn from it. No doubt one of the greatest lessons will be being humbled. And so don't kick against the goads, because you too may be in the school of humility. It's part of picking up your cross and following him. And we know that through this time, it taught Moses a greater fear. It taught him the fear of the Lord. And therefore, when he meets the Lord at the burning bush, he is ready. Not perfectly, because he still asks for his brother to go with him, because he doesn't feel like he can speak, and yet he is still willing to go. Still willing to go back to Egypt, going back to the place that he fled, going back to the place that he knows that if he appears, most likely he may be even put to death. And he's willing to go and confront the very king that he defied, this time not afraid. In fact, Moses faces Pharaoh several times and in fact demands upon him, saying, the Lord says, let my people go. And Moses perseveres, doesn't he? Even when Pharaoh hardens his heart, even when Pharaoh stiffens his resolve and actually makes the conditions worse upon the Israelites, Moses doesn't say, you know what, this is a little too hard. I'm going to go back to the wilderness. I thought sheep were difficult. No, he sticks with the plan. Moses does not waver. He's resolved in the fear of the Lord. He speaks in confidence and in boldness. Why? Because the Lord of all the heaven and earth had told him what to do. 
Just as Pastor Davies was willing to chastise the King of England. Or even John Knox, when asked how he could so boldly confront the Queen, he said, one does not fear the Queen of Scotland when you've been on your knees before the King of Kings. Do we have such boldness? Or are we consumed by fear? Perhaps I think we often are consumed by fear because we don't spend enough time on our knees before the King of Kings. Perhaps we have forgotten who our God is and where our true courage comes from. And so this morning, let me ask you, what is it that you fear? Because we all do, don't we? And then ask, is that fear bigger than God? If it is, then your God is too small. And we need to have a right vision of who the Lord is. And to have that right fear, the fear of God, that that would increase in our hearts and in our souls. Would the Lord grant us such a faith as that? But we go on to see here that there is also a greater lamb. Just as the, the greatest plague culminates with their exodus, so too the people of God are to exercise their faith before they are delivered. Because Moses tells them that they are to go and kill the firstborn lamb out of their flocks and to spread that blood upon their door. And if they do, then they will be spared, that their firstborn will not be taken from them. When the angel of the Lord comes, when the angel of wrath sees that blood on the frame, he would pass over. In other words, they had to apply their faith. They had to exercise their belief. But their faith was not in their actions, nor even in the blood of that particular animal. No, their faith was in the Lord. Because it's only the Lord that could save. And so they had several different options that were before them. They could have just ignored the word of the Lord or that which was told by Moses and be say that that's not going to take place. That's not going to happen. Or they could have taken matters into their own hands and got out of Dodge and tried to flee Egypt on their own. Or they could remain. And they could stay under the covering of the blood of the Lamb, which would require faith which, humanly speaking, would make no sense at all. And I tell you, it's no different today, is it? The world tells you that you need not worry, you need not do anything, that you are able to just live your life however you want to, that there is no judgment that's coming. Or they tell you to save yourself, to be a better person, to be all that you can be to achieve what you can achieve. Essentially, save yourself or, or make your own purpose and meaning out of life. But what the world doesn't understand, what it cannot comprehend, is putting all of your faith, all of your trust in the blood of the Lamb. That faith in someone or something that you cannot see. And that is why we have been saying again and again, it requires faith, doesn't it? That Passover, when God saved Israel out of Egypt, was a, 
foreshadowing of a greater Passover that was yet to come, of a greater lamb. For there is no other lamb, there is no other blood by which man can be saved than by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is what Moses pointed Israel to. He pointed them to the blood of the lamb. And so too, as a preacher of the gospel, I point you to that same blood. Because time draws near. The Lord approaches. The angel of wrath will come. The day of judgment is on its way. And it's much sooner than we may even think. Our time may be growing very short. When we will go to meet the Lord or the Lord will come back to meet us here. As you know, in the life of this church, we've seen a lot of death in the last several days. We've had three deaths in about ten days. It's a reminder to each and every one of us that we don't know how many days are before us. We must always be ready. We cannot delay. We cannot put off. We cannot say, well, I'll do that another day. No, today is the day. Today is the day of salvation. That is true for each and every one of us, no matter what age you are. And I speak to you, children and youth specifically. Can you think of that night of the Passover? Doubt there was much sleep to be had on a night like that. No doubt it would have been a scary night. Hearing the screams and the shrieks of so many dying. And no doubt, as a child, you must have wondered, is, is that what's going to happen to me? Is that angel going to come upon our house? How do we know? How can we be made sure? And no doubt the parents back in that time, just like your parents today, have to come and say, it's because we trust in the Lord. We trust in His Word. We trust in the One that has supplied the blood of the Lamb. He alone can save. That is the place that we place our hope and our faith. And I think when the Lord comes back, that that day indeed will be a frightening day for all. But the question is, are we ready for it? Can we stand in confidence on that day? I tell you, you can stand in confidence if you stand in confidence today in the Lord and in His Word and in the blood of the Lamb because it's only in that blood that we are saved. John Christostom, the early church father, said, if the blood of a lamb then preserved the Jews, how much more will the blood of Christ save us for who has been sprinkled not on our doorposts but upon our souls? I, as a pastor, we as a church have no greater delight than to point you to the blood again and again and again. So often we need it, do we not? That's why it says, by faith they kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. Well, we go on to a greater exodus. And the author of Hebrews will say, as we'll see next week, time would fail me to tell you about all of these other individuals and that is what I feel as we look at verses 29 and 31 the crossing of the Red Sea the defeat of Jericho the salvation by and of Rahab the prostitutes we don't have enough time our time is drawing nigh in this series 
but suffice it to say that the author of Hebrews is teaching us how to read the Old Testament, really all of the scriptures. And we need to be reminded, and hopefully you've been reminded again week after week, that these aren't just good stories. These aren't just what make up good Sunday school curriculum or children's Bible stories, but we need to hear the repeating drumbeat of Hebrews chapter 11, that it is by faith, by faith, by faith that all of these individuals lived, because that is what is needed to be true of all believers, that we can only come by and through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that journey, as we see it in verse 29 through 31, as they journeyed from the land of captivity to the land of promise, is very much a similar journey to what each and every one of us must experience and endure. In other words, we go from the land of death to the land of life. We go from the land of captivity to the land of promise. But in so doing, we are to go through this wilderness wandering. That is the Christian faith, isn't it? That it is a wilderness wandering with many ups and downs and peaks and valleys, but we must not miss this. That God was and is always faithful. Isn't that what we see in this wonderful story when it looked like the Israelites could not go forward? When the Red Sea was in front of them and the approaching Egyptian army is behind them, a path opens up to them that was seemingly impossible just moments before. As the Lord opens the Red Sea and they cross on dry ground. The same is true when they enter into the promised land. It's not just by coincidence that where they go through, they go through right where there is the biggest and most fortified city to show them that it is not themselves, it is not their power, it's not their strength or their military might that's going to take this promised land, it is the Lord. And isn't it even more demonstrated that the Lord uses the most unlikely of people? He uses Rahab, a prostitute, to help them, to show them that it is only of God. That is the journey of faith, isn't it? And we should never cease to be amazed. For when it seems impossible, God makes a way. When things seem to be out of your hands, when they seem to be out of control, you might just be right where you're supposed to be. You might just be where God would have you to be. The only place that you can look is up. And look to Him. Because it's there when you see God at work. Let me ask you, when is the last time that you've been amazed by God? I hope it is regularly. I hope we are regularly amazed by God. If it's been a while, then perhaps we're either not walking by faith or our faith has settled with mediocrity. And we're not daring great things. You've heard that statement, dare to do great things, that if God is not in them, they are doomed to fail. That's why I'm so glad to have my brother, Ben Thomas, and his wife, Heidi. They are trying to plant a church where there is very little biblical preaching churches, let alone Presbyterian churches. In other words, it's doomed to fail if the Lord is not in it. That's why he needs our support. That's why he needs our prayers. That's why he needs our encouragements. 
What if we were like that in all of our attitudes, in all of our ministries? What if we had that type of perspective, that type of faith, that we would dare great things for the Lord? I tell you, that's when a spiritual revolution will take place. That's when revival happens. So pray for your pastors and your leaders in that way. Pray for yourself. Pray that there would be a holy boldness and courage. Pray that we as leaders would fear God more than we would fear logistics or fear men or women or finances. We have a leadership retreat next week, Saturday morning. I would covet your prayers. That we'd think in this way as a leadership and as a church and that you'd pray for us. Because that's what we need, isn't it? Because God is still about the work of a greater exodus. God is still bringing people from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. And what a privilege it is to be a part of it. What a privilege it is to see how God is working in this church, how God is working in our lives. I tell you, there is nothing greater than that. I'll close with this. I know of a father that had a little family mantra with he and his children. The father would say to his children, who's got it better than us? And the children would say, nobody. And I tell you, that's what the Christians, that's what you and I should be saying. Through all the ups and all the downs, through all the twists and all the turns, through all the good and bad, who's got it better than us? Nobody. Because we have a God that is faithful and sure and that is true and that will see us through that sufficiently provides every step of the way more than we deserve because he's given us himself now and for all eternity. Join me in prayer. Our gracious God, we pray that you would give us that courage and that boldness how quickly our faith diminishes and we are fearful and frightened because we see our circumstances, we see our problems as greater than what we see you as, the the great God of heaven and earth, the one that owns the cattle on a thousand hills, the one that provides for us our daily bread physically and spiritually, the one that gives us life and breath every single moment of every single day. Lord, We believe, but help our unbelief. Give us your Holy Spirit to give us boldness and courage to live lives of radical faith, of radical obedience unto you as we journey our way to Zion, as we're on that way of a greater exodus from the land of death to the land of life, from the land of captivity to the land of overflowing abundance and provision. Until then, Lord, give us all that we stand in need of each and every single day. And we know that you will. We pray this all in Christ, our Savior's name. Amen.